Because the Bible says in the last days, people are going to have itching ears. They're not going to want to hear the truth. They will not tolerate sound doctrine. So people will get up and preach doctrines of devils. devils. Joe, immoral communist Biden, is a supporter of transgender surgery, puberty blockers, even for minors, and all at public expense. I'm sick of it. The communism that came in this country and the socialism, the whole Democratic Party, it was weaned in Baptist churches just like this and preachers who said they believed the Bible and lying about it at the same time. Why can't we just believe that God says what he means and means what he says? All right, good to be back with everybody. Thanks for joining in, tuning in to the Cancel Preacher Podcast. Thanks for being with us. We're good to... We're excited uh, to be recording today. Hopefully uh, you're having a wonderful day. We are going to be talking about a sermon that my dad preached, the canceled preacher, preached on Sunday. Um, and, uh, boy, this was one, this was, this was, this was quite a sermon. I, I told uh, my brother-in-law afterwards, he said, well, what did he preach on? And I said, man, it was one, uh, it was one uh, fiery sermon. <laughs> so, uh but it was a good sermon. A good start is what you what you called it. You went from Second Samuel six. Yes, it talks about David when he brought the ark back to Jerusalem, and uh, at first things went well, but then, you know, if you know the story, Uzzah he put forth his hand to steady the ark because the ox shook the cart, and uh, the Bible says God's anger was kindled and uh, struck Uzzah dead because he mishandled the ark he mishandled and like a lot of folks do nowadays we mishandle the word of god we mishandle the gospel we mishandle mishandle the things of god and anyway so david says well forget this then um if god is going to strike Uzzah dead i'm going to go on strike with god and so he sent the ark to obed edom Obed Edom obviously was a man whose house was near where the tragedy took place. And uh, then it is there for three months. Word gets back to David that God is blessing the house of Obed Edom and all that pertaineth to him. I mean, he's doing good. I mean, he's getting his house renovated. He got it raised, you know. Um, and God does bless material in material ways. Um, he is definitely a rewarder of those that seek him. But I do want to stop and say this, Jonathan. We ought to serve God because it's the right thing to do and not because of material gain. But um, God does say, if you'll seek me first, then all the things that the Gentiles, they seek for, God just says, I'll just give it to you mm -hmm. by default. Right. So if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. And so what happened was that David... It looked like he was going to, everything was going well. But then things happen in life. I mean, the cart of your life is going to be shaken. There's going to come times in your life where the devil is going to desire to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Tragedy is going to come. Bad times are going to come. But most of those bad times are our own creation. They should never have carried that ark on that new cart. And that created problems down the road in their lives. And so we have to start off. We have to start off right. So um, you you quite often um, say, you know, I didn't get past my first point of my, my introduction. And uh, I think you mentioned, I don't know if you say it tongue in cheek sometimes, just kidding around because you have so much that you want to get to. But, um, you know, <laughs> are we ever going to hear a second point in a, in a sermon? <laughs> but I think you said something in, um, uh, and I guess this, this really stood out to me. And I think this is a, a main gist of what you were talking about. But, you know, David got upset at the tragedy that Uzzah reached out, touched the ark, and uh, he was struck dead. And your point was, you know, it never should have gotten to this point. Absolutely. And Uzzah seems to be an innocent man who suffered for the king's foolishness. Um, now, I'm not sure, you know, if that's true or well, not. Well, let me just stop and say this. I didn't preach this point on Sunday because I didn't want to go a different direction. But think about this. Uzzah was an innocent man who died in the place of others, you know. Mm. And uh, they were able to go on to Jerusalem because, you know, 
because of the death of Uzzah. And of course, I think we see that in Jesus Christ, mm. who, you know, was God and man and uh, took upon our sin and God struck him or killed him on Calvary. Wow. Yeah. So there's a beautiful, beautiful picture right there, turning Uzzah around to be a type of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I believe that. I believe that God can take something that's tragic and turn it around for good. And yeah. there's a beautiful picture right there. I mean, Uzzah was an innocent man. I mean, and so the ark, inside the ark, so the ark was a box. And um, this box was overlaid with pure gold. And inside this box were three things. It was the Ten Commandments. It was the, there was a golden pot of manna that was placed inside and Aaron's rod that budded. Pictures basically authority. Also pictures God's provision and also God's, God's laws. And the ark, the lid of the ark is called the mercy seat covered with blood. And so that ark is certainly a picture of God. And uh, here it was, Uzzah walking with God, you know, I mean, right beside God. And, uh, I mean, he was doing a noble thing, you know, and uh, just reflex, impulse. It looked like the ark was going to fall, and so he reached out to steady the ark. And what I drew out in this was, okay, so when the ark, and even if it wouldn't have fallen off of the cart, it certainly was shaken out of place. And so Uzzah thought, okay, well, I'm going to put the ark back in its place. Here's the Uzzah's problem was. And I think it's a lot of our problem. You know, we start manhandling God. We start thinking, okay, well, the circumstances of life are, are shaking me. And so what I have to do when I see God is not where he is supposed to be. And so I'm going to put God back in his place, you see. And all of that came out of a problem that started when they decided to get a new, a new cart. And by the way, they got the cart in the Philistine area, you know, um, in the area of the Philistines, if you read the, the chapter. And uh, that's the problem. We get these newfangled ways, you know, out of the world. You know, and if you're going to use Hollywood methods, you're going to get Hollywood results. Yeah. If you're going to use rock and roll methods, you're going to get rock and roll results. And, um, you know, rock and roll music, you know, to a gospel message, that's just a new cart mm-hmm. on, on an old gospel. It's not going to work. It's going to shake things up. And sooner or later, you're going to end up going down a road and you're going to always have to readjust, always putting God back in his place. And here was Uzzah's problem. So the ark represented the box of God. And because Uzzah could, he he saw it as the box of God. He kind of felt like, you know, God is contained in a box. And he could put God in a box, you know, and and manhandle him and and, um, and, uh, move him around. But God is not going to be played a fool like that, you know. And so anyway... If they would have just done it, the, carried the ark the way that God said carry the ark at the beginning, then they would have never run into this problem later on. Yeah, so the problem with the cart was um, God gave a specific way to carry the ark. He said this is the only way it's supposed to be done. That's and, right. And uh, that was with rods that went through rings on the corners of the ark. And That's right. And to be put on the shoulders of four Levites. That's right, and not just any rods sanctified rods rods that god had chosen and so what well, i was saying it you got to have a good start young people have got to have a good start and you and and a life is a series of new beginnings new starts new seasons new days new weeks new months new years new hobbies new jobs you know new a new year for kids in school you know uh so they're in school many years but this is like a new year for them. Now they're in the third grade, you know, and they've never passed this way before. Every day we got to start off right. Every week we got to start off right. And so I basically said, you know, yes, it is true. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse number 8, it says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. 
And that is so encouraging because even if you, you, you mess up at the beginning, as long as you get across the finish line, amen. But um, problem is, you know, we, we don't ever cross the finish line because of tragedies just like this. But we have to remember this. You can't have an ending unless you have a beginning. You can't cross the finish line unless you, cro- unless you first cross the, the, you can't have a finish line until you first cross the beginning line. So you can't finish a task unless you start a task. So both of them are very, very important. And, um, but you got to start off right. You know, God says he wants the, fir- remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. So many young people screw up their lives before they even begin to live it, mm-hmm. really. Between 15 and 17 years of age, your stupid kid does not need to a job. I hear this all the time. Well, so my kid has to work today. No, he doesn't. Your kid, your, your 16-year-old kid doesn't have any bills. Your 16-year-old kid cannot own a checkbook. You know, he cannot even own a car. He can't even buy a car, 16. And so, and drive it, you know. Um, it's got to be under the parents or, or, you know, somebody else's, you know, it's got to be somebody else's car, somebody else's insurance, things like that. That child needs to learn to walk with God first. I'm very, very disheartened when young people say, well, I have to work, mm, you know. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's always a lie, mm, you know. just saying. They're parenting what their parents say. They're trying to act grown up. Or they're revealing their heart, really, without realizing it. So true. And it's so true in the area of sports, you know. Well, where's so-and-so today? They were playing soccer. Where's so-and-so? They are playing Little League, you know. And um, I'm telling you, those are, you should be able to see that is going to lead to a mess down the road, you know. But people, they just, they just don't. It's, it, it, it's, they say it's no big deal, but it is a big deal. You know, if you just, if you're traveling a, a long journey, you know, say like in a plane, and uh, you just get off one degree, you know, after a mile or two, you say one degree, it doesn't even make any difference. What is one a half a degree? What difference is, is a half a degree? But over a lifetime, you know, or over a couple thousand miles. You'd be thrown way off target, way off base. You're gonna you're gonna miss the you know the runway by many 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 miles, and uh, it's just like the proverbial dog, excuse me, the frog being boiled in the in the you know in the water. You know if you throw the hot water in, he's gonna jump right out. But if you just heat it up slowly, you know he's not gonna realize the change. It's kind of like when you go into a a house in the middle of the summer, it's really bright outside. You walk into a house, it seems like it's so so dark at first, but after a while, then your eyes adjust to the darkness. And then you'll be able to see things you couldn't see before. So well, it's not so bad. It's not so dark outside. You know, it's not so dark in the house or whatever. But we've got to start. We've got to start right. So um, a lot of a lot of the problems that we get later in life, like you brought out on Sunday, the, the answer is because we want to come to church and we want a quick fix a lot of times. Um, but the answer, sadly, and people don't want to hear this. The answer is you never should have got here in the first place. They I don't want to hear it. That is the that is the now. F- OK, from there. But if you're not going to at least admit that you can't really move forward. If you're not going to say I messed up. The reason why I'm here is because I messed up in my past. That's right. You're not going to be able to get it right in the future. That's right. Um, but that really is it. You know, Uza, David was mad. Uza got struck dead. But, David, that's not the issue. The issue is you never should have been. This whole situation never should have even come about. It, I mean, it should have been avoided entirely. And it's very similar to a lot of people's um, problems they come come to, you know, come to church with. And uh, that's one reason why people reject preaching like what, you know, like what we offer here. Because the, f- the finger of blame always comes back to them. Uh, it has to. Uh, God is either just... Or we are. If God's not just, if we're, we claim we're just or we're good or, you know, we didn't make the mistake, then God made the mistake. That's like right. David, you know, David would have said, well, God, you shouldn't have struck Uzzah. But either God's right or you're right. They can't both be right. That's right. And what you're going to end up doing is you're going to end up constantly putting God back in his place. 
because there's going to be potholes down the road of life all your life long. And your life is going to constantly be shaken up and shaken about. And what's going to happen is you're going to end up like David, just going on strike, just quitting on God and said, well, forget it then. I See, David understood the importance of getting God in at the beginning of his kingdom and his administration. And so in 2 Samuel chapter number 6, it's basically one of David's very first acts as king. I want to get the ark. I don't want to bring it to Jerusalem. I want the ark close to me. I want to be close to God. And because uh, he understood the ark basically represent the power, the presence, the protection and preservation uh, provision of God, you know, which was pictured inside the ark. And it was really true. You know, I mean, when they carried the ark around Jericho, you know, the ark, you know, went before them and um, the walls came tumbling down and the ark led them into battle. You know, the ark was the thing that uh, basically went out in front of them when the Jordan River was parted. And and so David understood this is a special box, you know. And let me just stop and say this. The Bible is a special, you might say, box as well. And, uh, and just like Uzzah did, always kind of manhandling the ark and kind of fixing it and putting it back where it's supposed to be. That's what people do with the Bible. So people do with the gospel. That's what people do with church. Constantly making adjustments. The Bible, truth does not need to be adjusted. Truth is time tested. Truth is relevant in every age, and so is the Bible. And so this was this was the whole problem right here. And an innocent man died because they just maybe inadvertently, you know, just overlooked some things. But you can't overlook spiritual things regarding salvation, for example. <laughs> you, can't, you can't afford to get it wrong. You've got to get it right. Mm-hmm. You're either saved by the way the Catholics say, and, um, you know, you're either saved through the church or you're saved through the blood of Christ. You're either saved through the sacraments or you're saved by the Savior, you know. It can't be both. It's one or the other. Yeah. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. It's public school. For example, I cannot believe that there are people that will say, well, my public school isn't so bad. Look, Jesus said you're for me or against me. A lot of people think unions half decent, you know, the school district around where the church is. And uh, my son was telling me, not you, my other son was telling me on the way to school today was saying, you know, I was taking this one kid to um, give him a ride. And he says, well, my parents pulled me out of the public school because it's so bad. He says, you go in the bathroom. Anytime you go in the bathroom, there's two or three people just doing things they shouldn't be doing, oh, wow. you know, in the bathroom. And I'm not, oh, it, 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 you know, sometimes smoking drug, drugs or doing kind of stuff like that, you know, and sometimes just other things, you know, um, because when, when you throw God out, the devil is coming in. And they did that 70, 80 years ago, you know. Um, well, it was about 62, three years ago, um, when they took prayer and the Bible out of the school system. Well, that's just, that, now you're going to secularize it and, uh, it's going downhill from there. Yeah. 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 And by the way, putting, I don't know if, if putting prayer back in the public school is the answer either because they would just mess it up. You know, and let me just, just stop and say this too, because, okay, so I had preached this you know, pretty straightforward on Sunday. And I said, look, the first day of the week is, it's not the first hour, it's the first day. And I said, I could tell you right now, if you, you know, where your heart is by whether or not you're going to, if you're going to be back here on Sunday night, you know. And, of course, we had folks that normally don't come on Sunday night. They came back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wasn't preaching Sunday night, but what I would have said, you need to be here because you want to be here. Not because, you know, you just, you feel like, well, I got, I got to do it, you know. It ought to be something that you look forward to. Look forward to walking with God. Look forward to, you know, and, and just want to be close to God. You, you want to, not that you have to. Okay, you wouldn't, you wouldn't put up with it. If you were, mar- if you were married and um, your wife says, well, you know, I only made you supper because, you know, I feel like I have to or you're not going to bring home a paycheck, you know, or you're not you're going to be mean to me or whatever. Y- you wouldn't put up with that. And God doesn't put up with that. 
you, your heart has got to be into it. You've got to love God with all your heart. And then it's going to show up in your life. But getting back to this good start, not a new cart, but a good start is what we need. Getting back to the Bible way. And so God says, now this is the way I want you to carry the ark. Because there are going to be potholes down the road of life. And uh, so I want Levites, only Levites, to carry the ark on the rods where the rods go through the rings on the ark. Okay, four Levites, one at each corner. Okay, and uh, and then um, God says, this is the way I want you to do it. This way, this is the method, and these are the men. So we have abandoned both. Let me just stop and say this. If you're a woman, you're not God called. You know, just like somebody from the tribe of Benjamin. They had no business carrying the ark. They had no business doing that work, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, I mean, they could have been wonderful people and had a desire to want to do it. But just because you had a desire to do it doesn't mean you're called to do it, you know? Um, David had a desire to build the temple, and uh, God told him no. That's right. That, that's so true. And, uh, and here's something else, too, Jonathan. We are trying so hard, preachers, as if they measure their own success by how many preacher boys they have in their church, <laughs> you know? And, of course, they're all eight- and nine-year-old preacher boys, you know? And, of course, the kid's going to parrot whatever the preacher says or whatever. But rather than trying to talk that kid into preach, uh, being a pastor, why don't you try to talk him out of it? Because, as Spurgeon said, if he's God-called, then no- nothing you can say is going to talk him out of it. Mm. As Spurgeon said. Spurgeon would, in, in his book, Lectures to My Students, he said, well, when kids would come to the college, I would ask them, well, hey, this is a pastor's college, a preacher's college. This is a college for pastors. Um, you, are you called the pastor? Because if you're not called the pastor, then really this is not really the college for you, right? And so he would begin to question them. This is what he says in his book, you know. And he said, I would ask them, well, what did you do before you felt like you wanted to come here? And what's your occupation now? How do you make a living and things like that? He says, well, I was doing this, that, and the other thing. And Spurgeon would say, do you think that you can be happy doing that? And then Spurgeon would often ask these, these kids, he'd say, well, what about any other occupation? Could you be happy doing, say, I don't know, maybe a blacksmith or, you know, I don't know, something. And sometimes the kids would say, well, yeah, I think I could be happy being a banker, you know, an architect, a blacksmith or goldsmith or whatever. And Spurgeon said, well, then you're not called. You're not going, if you can be happy doing something else, you ought to do something else. And um, and what happens is, you know, you got people that we, we just pick anybody because they're available, you know, and we're kind of forcing them into the ministry. And um, I, I never tried to talk you into being, I, all I wanted you to do is walk with God. That's it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and well, I'll tell you that there's, there's, there's a lot of, I guess, people that would disagree with that because it seems like. There's always this push, like you said, we got to get people into the ministry, and we we don't have as many preacher boys as we used to. We got to figure out a way to get more missionaries on the field. Um, I mean, do we need to do that? Do we well, need to figure out how to get more preachers or more missionaries on the field? And and that is the same mindset that goes back with we got to build the church, you know. And I think that we just need to do what God has called us to do, you know. And don't worry about building the church, and don't worry about the results. I've said this so many times, but when Jesus preached, he never tried to build a crowd. He never tried to build or to promote his own popularity. Uh, He just did what the will of the father Mm -hmm. and he just preached the truth. And people would sometimes come to Jesus and say, well, I'll follow you. And basically following him, being a disciple meant more than just being a believer. Being a disciple was one that would follow him, you know, follow him around, which basically meant I'm going to give up my job, you know, or go on a a leave of absence and follow Jesus wherever he went to preach. And so this one guy says, Lord, I'll follow you. And the Lord said, "Okay, but let me tell you, this is what the price is going to be. You know, Um, how come preachers never do that today? How come preachers always talk about, well, you know, it would be a blessing and everything. Well. It, yeah, it is. But Jesus said, this is what Jesus said to one man. Foxes have holes, right? 
people and all the animals, they know where they're going to lay their head tonight. But he says, I don't even know I'm going to lay, lay my head tonight. You don't know where you're going to be tonight. You're going to follow me. You're just going to have to follow me, you know. And, um, and of course, there's others that would come and they'd say, Lord, let me follow you. And most of the time, we would make concessions, you know. And, you know, but one guy says, well, my dad's sick. You know, he's on hospice. Let me bury my dad first, and then I'll come and follow you. Jesus rebuked him and said, let the dead bury their dead. You know, you follow me now, now. Right. You don't even know you're going to be alive tomorrow, let alone your dad, you know. Yeah. And it's it's always going to be one thing or another. But Jesus never tried to build a crowd. He's always trying to thin the crowd. And uh, preachers say, well, I can't do that now because I got so much mortgage and so much debt, you know. Um, I'm enslaved to debt. So your God is money, really, you know. And um, Well, they say to do the work of God, it takes money and manpower. And I've heard that before, and it's true. It is you true. You can't do it without money and manpower. But where is that supposed to come from? You know, we get so we get we buy into so many of these business building techniques of the world that we feel like we've got to be CEOs running the church. Yes, and we've got it, and that and in comes the fundraisers like you've talked about before, and the you know the thermometers in the corner where we're raising money for this, raising money for that because you know we've got this vision, we've cast this vision, and we got to you know reach this goal. Uh, maybe God doesn't want you to reach that goal. I mean. Have we ever considered that? Right. And uh, here we are. We're trying to reach the world. But um, the Lord says go into the world, you know. And uh, I don't know what we mean by reaching the world. Do we mean getting the gospel to everybody in the world? Or do we do we mean, I don't know, everybody in the world, we somehow got to get them saved. Now, if that's what you believe, then you, you don't believe the Bible because evil men are going to whack us worse and worse. It's not going to get better and better. You're a post-millennialist, really. Right. Yeah. But I think, and I, I heard a preacher say, and I respect this man. He says, the only reason why God has left you on earth now that you're saved is to get somebody else saved. Uh, first of all, I'd like to see that in the Bible. And that's taking a big leap of state, uh, step of, you know, uh, interpretation. Um, but what happens is when you go down that road, then you start compromising your, you know, you know to, to just get people to pray a prayer, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, this is what I'm here for. Th- this is the the sole reason why I'm here, you know, is to, I, I don't know, get people saved. You can't get people saved. Amen. You know, God, one plants, one waters. God gives the increase. Mm-hmm. Our job is to, je- and somehow preachers feel like they're a failure if they pastor a country church and they're not running a thousand. I got to tell you this story. Brother Jonathan, so I was at pastor school years ago, and David Gibbs was preaching, and he says, why ask God to do the the possible when you have a miracle-working God? Why don't you ask him for the impossible? And, uh, of course, immediately, every, everybody there just about automatically adopts that to, you know, the building of the church. And so, you know, why are you asking God to give you 10 more, 15 more, next year you know why don't you just ask god to do the impossible you know if he can give you 10 if he's going to give you 10 why can't he give you 100 that's the same mentality goes with faith promise which is about it's all screwed up you know because what we're doing is is we're violating the word of god we're we're, 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 we're using new carts new methods new things new techniques new ideas right and it's going to shake eventually somebody is going to get hurt you know and with the faith promise, for example, it's everybody, you know, it's always going to, you know, in the missions conferences that we have, you know, um, let's bring up somebody that, you know, gives to faith promise and talk about how God blessed them. Okay. Let's also talk about the one that gave the faith promise and followed that unscriptural teaching when God did not bless them. And then, you know, now they had a water heater go out, but the faith promise was also do or whatever and so they had to make a choice and now they have this internal conflict and so now what are they going to do of course the faith promise they have to they have to reinterpret or just put you know steady the ark on you know and god says you are violating scripture one thing after another and so um yeah all, all of this stuff is just we had a guy uh several years ago that was here and uh you know he just decided Man, I, I believe God's going to give us five. You know, in, in a couple of years, we're going to be running 500. That was a number that kind of stuck out to him or just was in his head. And he said, well, we're going to have 500. And I don't know. Um, 
I don't know. You've been here for 32 years. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe God doesn't want us to run 500. But that is just like, I mean, that's next to blasphemy. Uh, unless like. you're a Calvinist, you know, or something. Or, you know, I, I don't know. But I want to say this. So everybody goes, and, and then, as I remember, they're turning in their cards. And you know, it, it, everything was, all these preachers, it, it, it all went directly to doubling my church attendance, you know. And uh, we had an evangelist here years ago, Brian Sharp, for example, and um, he's a good man. But he, you know, he came and he preached, and I never put him up to this, you know. But he says, you know, he says, you ought to send your pastor to Israel. I'm going in a few months. And that's what he said, you know. <laughs> this, this is the main reason why it shouldn't be done. And this is what he says. He says, because if you send your pastor to Israel, then your church attendance will double. <laughs> really? That's what he said. And and then he goes and talks about this pastor and this pastor that, you know, they went to Israel and then then the Bible comes alive. I I, I cannot believe what I was hearing. As as if you've got to go to Israel for the Bible to come alive. Well, I can't wait till I get to go. I I, I, I could not believe what I was hearing. Mm. But I, I did feel like God wanted me to go to Israel, so I went. And of course I wish I never did because we almost got thrown in jail a couple times. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. The crowd that I went with was unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. We got held up in the airport. And uh, almost missed our plane because because you know we're just we're just breaking the laws, you know, <laughs> over there carrying in contraband and all kinds of stuff, you know. Um, it's it's it was un unreal unreal unreal, and uh, I even said to, I even said to the evangelist I says well I don't necessarily want to go because I I know the. The crowd that people go around, and I just don't want to hear a bunch of criticism against Hiles Anderson and all that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, he just laughed. He said, "What would you make you say think that?" And I said, well, "I know who you hang around with." Mm. And, uh, and no sooner did we get there, there we are, we're sitting around some hotel eating supper, and, and uh, a long time Brian's sitting right next to me, and some guy sitting right across. He says, "So when did Hiles Anderson start going bad, in your opinion?" Uh. <laughs> I, and I looked at That's Brian. Like, I said, I, I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. But anyway. That question. That's like, when did you stop beating your wife? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway, back to David Gibbs. And, and uh, so I I thought, well, I feel like I'm a lousy husband, first of all. And I still do. And I feel more than anything, if God would just make me a better husband, you know. Um, and that... I, that was one of the things I prayed for. Make me a better husband. Make me a better Christian. Make me a better husband. Better father, and um, a better pastor. And I felt like <laughs> that's going to be a miracle right mm. there. I, that's that's what I wanted, you know. Um, and uh, and I remember a friend of mine, Chuck Lang. He's a good friend. I love him. And this is what he said. He he called me afterwards and he says, "Man, what you think of that sermon?" And we were sitting and talking. We were in the auditorium. And um, this, he shared this with me. He says, so what did you pray for? And uh, I, I says, well, he says, well, I'll tell you if you tell me. That's what he said. As, as if it's some big secret <laughs> or something, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I says, oh, and I told him. I said, I pray for these things. This is probably 20 years ago, you know. I believe Brother Hiles was still alive. If not, he had just passed away. And um, so I told him, and I said, well. Okay, what's yours, you know? He said, well, I asked God to give me a 1000 in church, you know? And uh, I'm thinking, first of all, I wouldn't want a 1000 I couldn't handle a 1000 Honestly, Jonathan, God has given me exactly what he knows I can handle. Uh -huh. The wisdom I can, you know, that's, I just believe that. And, uh, and you know, sure, I'd like to see the church house full. You know, sure. Um, but um, I, I, I'm not a 1000 preacher. You know, I feel like, Rather than asking God to give me a thousand, <laughs> say, God, make me a man that can pastor a thousand, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> um, um, make me able to to um, handle, you know, five talents, you know. Uh -huh. But anyway, so and I'm not being critical. I think he's a, a tremendous man of God. <laughs> I hope he's not listening. <laughs> but he ain't running any more than <laughs> today than he was then. You know, and um, any anyway. Well, I mean, it's so true. You get you get numbers. You 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 focused on numbers. You focused on results. You focused on the outcome, and then of course you got to change the method. Of course That's you got to, and uh, you know because like the start we 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 have this the 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 we start on a false premise. 
It's just do what God's called you to do um, and be satisfied with that. And a lot of times we're just not satisfied with that. I mean, we're just not. That's right. Um, you know, uh, I, I look back on my life and think of the times when I, I longed for something else, wanted something else, wished for something else, you know, and visions that I would cast in my own mind of what my ministry would look like here. And all I need to do is just get a hold of God and then things are going to just boom. All of a sudden, man, door, <laughs> people are busting out. The, this church the way that the I see it in the Bible is that the people that did not think that they were qualified to have what we would say a bigger ministry, a bigger influence are the ones that did, mm -hmm. you know, God had to convince Jeremiah, you know, Moses, like, who am I, you know, why would you send and Moses as well? Uh, that's right. But it's, it's those people that feel like, well, it, you know, I, you know, I'm worth and try to convince God that I, that's what you're trying to do. Convince God that for whatever reason <laughs> you deserve a bigger crowd, you know, that, that to me, it's, it's, uns, it's unscriptural. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Just, just. Just do what God said. Amen. And then, uh, you know, whatever God has called you to do, I mean, you ought to be satisfied with that. And if God has called you to, you know, uh, a, a bigger, a bigger influence, praise the Lord. If not, we ought to be able to praise the Lord for that. Yes. And uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think the size of this church is a reflection. If people would say, well, the harder you work, the bigger your church is going to get. I don't think the size of this church is a reflection of, you know, the lack of work by you or the people. Uh, I just think. That, um, you know, we ought, we ought to be satisfied and, with what God has called us to do. And I don't think that we ought to be making excuses about it either. You know, I refuse to go down to do the road. And I do think there is some truth to this. But I'm not even going to allow myself to entertain the thought, well, it's because, you know, people just don't want to hear the truth, you know. And, and, and we have the truth. The other churches don't, you know. I, I, don't, I don't even want to go there. You start going down that road, you start getting bitter, judgmental, jealous. Proud even. Oh, yeah, so so much so. I just think that we just need to have the right start. And I will tell you this. It was about 20, maybe 22 years ago. I don't remember. Early 2000s, somewhere around there. So the church is, you know, just running. You know, I mean, Union Baptist is a stable church. But we, we, we're not a big church. We're a... We're just a, um, a a good, solid country church in a small community. And um, and so, you know, I got this. I just started getting self-centered, you know, and and um, just beginning to think, well, these other pastors, you know, their churches buy them a car, you know, right. and and give them raises and send them to Israel and all this stuff and. You know, um, so I thought I started looking around, you know, candidate in several churches this is 20 years ago or so. Um, and then God is just he finally just said, look, you got it. You, you, you should just be thankful, you know, and I, I just just began to just be thankful that God has just allowed me to be in the ministry, you know, and I'm not going to promote myself either. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to run around to all the preacher conferences so I can get my name out so people will ask me to preach in conferences somewhere. It's not going to happen. I'm not, I'm not doing it. Let another, let somebody else promote you and not your own self, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, I'm not going to be looking around, looking for a bigger church or anything like that. I'm just not going to do it, you know. Um, why can't we just, why can't we just be satisfied with the calling that God has given to us? Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm living the dream. I really do, Jonathan. I feel like I cannot I cannot express to you every day to me is just just so exciting. I go to bed at night excited. I wake up in the morning excited. Um, it, it's just a relief, you know, knowing that, you know, God is going to build his church. God is going to take care of his man. Mm -hmm. But when we start off with these bad and false premises, and one of them is, you know, I got to build the church, you know. I really think that a lot of preachers, they fall right there, you know, because they wear themselves out trying to do the work that God said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. That was one thing I was thinking about the other day is, you know, some some churches that I've heard of, they've got their people out. You know, they promote going out all day Saturday. And in college, it's one thing. You know, you're in boot camp, so to speak. But churches that kind of try to make a, a, a culture of that where, you know, man, we got to go out for all day Saturday because souls are dying and going to hell, you know. 
um, where we don't have we got a laid back approach to Saturday, very laid back. Um, and uh, but the thing, the difference is, and I'm not saying you know only us, but you know we've been doing it for for thirty some odd years. Yeah. Uh, whereas a lot of times people that that start off so like we got to do it, I mean we got to give our all, man. You got to get your family out all day Saturday. They're not doing it anymore. Yeah, or it lasts for a couple of years. They're morning glories, you know. But as soon as the sun comes up, it, you know, they frizzle. So is it better to to go for five hours a day for a couple of years and then stop, or go for an hour a week, you know? But f- do it for, for thirty your li- years for your lifetime. That's yeah. right. Um, and I see that uh, faithfulness is what God wants, not uh, not sporadic, you know, um, uh, uh, fervor, but rather just consistent. And um, yes, you know, just being, just doing it consistently. And of course, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to criticize another church for, for you know what they do. But if I had to pick between one or the other, you know, okay, you get, you can, you can sign some people up to go, uh, you know, minister for a couple hours every Saturday. Well, you know, fine. But if I had to choose between one, I'd rather do it a little bit for a long time than a lot for just a short time. Uh, and just be faithful, um, and just you know, let's let's obey God, and and don't say, well, you know, it's your sole responsibility to keep people out of hell today. It, it's not. That's right. And and this really is is my interpretation of Christian living, as I see we apply the Bible to our Christian living. For example, uh, regarding the reading of the reading through the Bible in a year, this kind of fits in with faith, promise, and and soul winning, and so many other things. I'm against it. I'm against it for most people because, okay, yeah, it's a good start, you know, and for a while, you know, it's going to be smooth sailing, but Eurachlodon is coming. It's going to come and you bid off more than you can chew. You ain't going to get through Leviticus, Hmm. you know. Uh, In fact, we're teaching through Leviticus right now. And I said, I believe God put Leviticus right near the front of the Bible, you know, to, 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 to. to say, I don't want you reading through the Bible in a year. You cannot, you, you just cannot read Leviticus like you read Jonah, you know, or Matthew. I mean, sometimes you ever eat rich food, you know, like I could eat a whole lot of some foods, you know, it's just not filling, you know, but other food like cheesecake, mm-hmm. you know, or pancakes, for example, you can only handle one of those numbers, you know. Because, man, they're going to lay heavy in your belly, Mm. right? Leviticus is like that. It is a heavy book. And the reason why so many people say, well, I I just skip over Leviticus or I just read surface reading and never get nothing out of it is because you got a faulty premise. God, Leviticus is not intended to be read like the same way as Zechariah, you know, or Romans or Hebrews, for example. Those are. Those are deeper books, and you just you just you just can't you can't you can't digest Leviticus like you do Genesis. Mm. You just can't. People treat it like diets, and when you were teaching on health, you said diets don't work. They don't. <laughs> and you said you said um, if you were fat thirty <laughs> years ago when you came here, you're fat today. And of course, everyone's on a diet all the time, trying new diets. But um, yeah, people treat Bible reading like that. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a year and I'm gonna do this diet. You know, or this this scripture reading plan. But okay, so how do, how do you suggest people approach Bible reading? Well, I so one thing that I, for example, I've been telling folks, and it, this is for this is kind of is, is a little frustrating to me because I know we're gonna get through. Say we're coming to Leviticus, and I I, I tell folks you ought to have your Bible study time. Um, to correspond with what we're going through in church. I think that that's what they did throughout history. You see, they didn't, people did not have Bibles. If you had it, it was against the law. And then only the very rich people could afford a Bible because they were all manuscripted up until just 500 years ago. And then then even when the printing press actually first started, I mean— it took a, that was movable text type. It wasn't computer. It took a long time to just change from one page to another, mm. and so books, even in the six, in the fourteen hundreds, Gutenberg um, basically discovered discovered or invented the movable text type, or you could say printing press, and um, 
And so before that, they had what they call those woodcut things where you would you know carve away wood, but that's all you could do, and you know just a, just a woodcut. Oh. And uh, so you'd have a picture, and a picture would show up in a lot of different books and things like okay. that. But but then it, the movable text type, which was really a, a miracle. But you wonder why it took so long to discover that. Huh. I'm thinking, you know, that seems like it would have been looking back. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. But anyway, so. Really, up until just a couple hundred years ago, people just, and today, most people don't have a Bible, you know, and yeah, most people don't have a, have a complete Bible. In the world. So this is what I think. So the Bible doesn't really say read it, you know. It says meditate on it because God knows throughout history, most people could not read, yeah. you know, and if they could read, they were poor. Poor people couldn't read, obviously, and uh, but those that could read, then you narrowed it down. There's just a handful of people that could own a Bible, you know, and then to get it translated into your language, tedious and hard work. So there was a community Bible, and it was basically in the church, locked in the church, you know, and uh, so the only time you really saw it was when it was taken out of the pulpit on Sunday, and then large portions of Scripture would have been read. And God says, I want you to listen as the Bible is read, and I want you to get it in your heart, you know, and then I want you to meditate on all week, all week long. That's what I think. Hmm. <laughs> I think that your devotions ought to coincide with the, the, the teaching of the Word of God through, um, through church. Now, somebody says, yeah, but my church doesn't do it like that. Well, I cannot prove from the Bible, but I believe history would, would side with me that um, that's the way you would have had to do it throughout history. Because if, if you were just a peasant in the 1400s, 1300s, 1200s, 1000s, 900s, 800s, you didn't own a Bible. I'm telling you, you didn't own a Bible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, they, they would just, you, you had to go to where it was, you know. I'll tell you one thing that, that seems to... Um yeah, I, I think I've picked it up from you and from your this kind of teaching, but this idea of praying and reading your Bible where, you you know, instead of, well, trying to do 30 minutes in the morning or something like that, um, you know, sadly we do, you know, we, we like you said, we put God in this little box of our life and then we leave him out of all the rest. Yeah. Would it be better to read three chapters in the morning or or meditate on three verses all day? I think Absolutely. I think it's better to meditate on three verses all day than read three chapters in the morning. And same thing Absolutely. with prayer. You know, I always felt like I was I was failing in prayer if I didn't have, you know, a prayer closet and, you know, an hour, sweet hour of prayer type thing. But is it better to pray for an hour in the morning or pray for five, you know, f just a couple seconds, but pray all day, always talking to God? I think the Bible teaches the moment by moment uh, walking with God. And not this, Amen. this little, you know, this little section of the day. That's what we've confined God to. Yeah, yeah. And, and I have preached along this line where the Bible has become our enemy. You know, um, it's like we can't witness unless we have a Bible. Mm. You know, um, and we can't have a devotion unless we have a Bible. Mm. But again, the, throughout history, I'm talking about six thousand years of history. They didn't have a Bible. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just, that's the fact. Well, it's it's clear to see, too, with um, not just the Bible, but with information in general. You know, now that we have Google on our phone, nobody knows anything. Yeah. Because we don't need to remember stuff. We just look it up. And now because we have the Bible, uh, you know, we, we can't function, you know, without it. Right, uh, right. And I will tell you this. I'll tell you somebody else that didn't read the Bible. You know, as we understand it from Genesis to Revelation, Peter, the apostle, John, James, how about Isaiah, Jeremiah? They didn't even have a New Testament. Right. You know, so the Bible, 66 books, that's that's a big that's a big book. Right. And um, here it is. You're going to ask these new young Christians. OK, read through their Bible in a year. OK, so you can do and You know who it is oftentimes that I've noticed that, you know, kind of push people to read through the Bible through a year. It's preachers that are retired, you know, and uh, here it is. You ain't got nothing but time on your hands, you know, 
and um, you're going to criticize other guys you got to get up four or five in the morning and work eight ten hours a day they've got kids and they've got everything else they're trying to juggle around you know and um and so all you're gonna do is make those people feel guilty you know mm. it, it's just not it's it's just not right the, the, the whole thing is just is wrong you know and um but i can hear the liberals up in arms over this whole thing they would say I, i'm talking about liberals throughout history in the time of David. So David says, so he hears that Obed-Edom is being blessed. And uh, by the way, in your life, when you're not being blessed and you're not walking with God and God is nowhere around you at all, you know, what you need to hear, and this is what God says. God says, I don't care. You know, if you're going to play me like that, okay, well, that's okay. I'll take my ball, I'll take my ark, and I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> that's what God says. That's what God is saying. And then God says, and I'm going to pour salt into the wound, David, and I'm going to make you, I'm going to make sure that you hear that I'm blessing Obed-Edom. And word gets back after three months. You know, God's timing. And then David, you know, certainly I believe he has the right attitude. And God is working all these things out for, for, for you know, to help David. And, uh, but you know, okay, so you don't have a job. You ought to thank God that, God's blessing somebody with a job, okay? And this is what people do. They say, well, you know, I prayed for my cousin. My cousin died anyway, you know? Or I prayed for this job, and I didn't get it. Well, you quit prayer, you quit church, and all this stuff. And then a couple months down the road, about three months, then you start feeling guilty when, man, God's blessing somebody else. I mean, after all, your neighbors, you know, they're walk- their kids are, you know, their their kids are doing well in school, you know, got a happy marriage, you know, got a promotion, renovating the house. Things are just going good for them. And then all of a sudden, man, you just begin to feel, you know, like, like your heart begins to burn, you know. And um, you, you, you just want a piece of that blessing, you know. And, uh, and so anyway, so he goes and gets it. And David says, now this time we're going to do it right, okay. And let me just stop and say this. Thank God that God is the God of the second chance. Amen. The Bible says that um, Jonah, you know, he cried out out of the belly of hell. He cried. But God gave him a second chance. Right. And um, and so thank God that he's given us a second chance as well. But I'm telling you, you got to do it right. So David said, we're going to do it right. I need four Levites. I don't, I don't need mama call, papa sent. I need four, Le- I don't need just anybody available. I need four Levites. That's what I need. It's like the choir nowadays, Jonathan. People that can't sing, all they want is the praise of men. All they want to do is just, they want to be in the choir or whatever. They can't sing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that, that, okay. If that's what you believe, okay, so you can't sing and you don't prepare, okay, and you believe you can be a blessing? Why don't you? Why don't you volunteer to play the piano next week? <laughs> you say, "Well, I can't play the piano." Well, you can't sing either. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's funny. You know, you, you follow what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, Uzzah was not called, and so, but he was there, and he just felt like he had to do something. Man, the thing's gonna, the, our whole Christian, whole church gonna collapse unless we, I put God back in His place. <laughs> you know, and so. I could hear the naysayers. I could I could hear the liberals crying. All oh, David's just a legalist, you know. Too literal. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Too Does literal. Have to be a Levite. Do they have to be Levites? You know, and that's what we got today. We got preachers going. Oh, you know, people called to the mission field. They should never have left in the first place. You know, but called to the ministry. And I said this Sunday. You know, if you've got to take a break every couple months and get away from the the preacher, you know. He gets stressed. He's got to play golf on Monday to get over the stress of preaching on Sunday. He ain't called. As far as I'm concerned, the preacher ought to be creating the stress. I, I mean, just just if he would just not worry about what people think and just preach what God lays on. If he's not willing to do that, he ain't called. And if he is called, he's disobedient. Mm-hmm. And he needs to be run out of town on a rail. Now, I get it, young people, young guys that are just trying to find their feet. But how come... How come that that never seemed to apply with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah 
you know, compromise and that kind of thing. This is what God said. Say, Ezekiel, your wife is going to die in the morning. I'm telling you, Ezekiel, your wife is going to die in the morning, but I want you in church. I don't want you to miss a beat, you know. Um, I'm not saying, you know, that that's the case all the time, but I believe God is teaching a principle right here. The work of God is more important than, than, than your heartbreak. You know what I mean? Um, but anyway, and so I'm sure David could have said, you know, where are the rods to carry the ark? Somebody may have said, well, we ain't, we can't find them. Somebody else has said, well, let's just use any old rods. Let's just go ahead and find some rods, some pine wood or something like that. Let's just carry. But if it's not complete obedience, it's wrong, you know. And so David says, no, <laughs> I learned my lesson. We're going to get it right right from the beginning right and um it's the same way say when passover you know if god said offer a lamb you know it, it needs to be a lamb yeah and i'm sure people would say and these are people that died what difference does it make if it's cat's blood or lamb's blood it's, it's both red or what difference does it make if we put it on the doorpost or the windowsill you know but yeah, that's what you said on Sunday. You said it is yeah. the literalists that that survived. That survived. The that's right. And the um, the legalists, so to speak, uh, and to use their vernacular, it's not legalism. Naaman uh, was another case in point. And so Naaman, you know, so Elijah says, "Go go dip in the Jordan seven times." And he says, "Why do I got to dip in Jordan? I'll dip in one of one of the rivers back home. They're cleaner than Jordan anyway." Yeah. And so. You know, he was he was a liberal. And then, of course, his servant said, if he asked you to do something really crazy and wacky and, you know, exorbitant, ex- extravagant, you'd have done it. But he's just saying dip in seven times. You're going to come out. Let's just do what he said. And it wasn't four times. It wasn't five times. It wasn't six times. It was seven times. Yep. Now, hold it now. What happens if he would have won eight times? He would have still been healed. Right. So you can do more, but you can't do less. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because he dipped seven times and then he would have been healed. And then I have no doubt in my mind. He came up the seventh time and brother, he started swimming around mm-hmm. and dipped himself again and mm-hmm. dived in again. And just, you know, um, yeah, but I would ask a question. And I, I maybe we'll close with this. So just just say you were Noah back in back in the Bible days. And God comes to you and says, I'm going to destroy the world. You need to you need to build an ark, how to go for wood, and pitch it within and without. That's what I want you to do. And um, would you have used pine? Would you have? No, you would have done it the way God said. And um, same, was, go ahead. There's always a legalist, so to speak, or the literalists that were blessed or that obeyed in the Bible. Yes. But nowadays, that's supposedly a bad thing to be... A, Liter- to believe God's word literally. Yes, yes, and so these new carts, we don't we don't need a new cart for a new start. What we need is to just get back to the old time religion. You cannot carry the old time religion on newfangled carts. You you cannot do it. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you again, just a few things. I didn't even mention this in church on Sunday. I don't believe. Faith promise is a new cart. It's no good. It's not in the Bible. Nobody, the thing was discovered or invented, you know, 100, 120 years ago as a way to get more missions on the uh, missionaries on the field or more money over there. Um, it, 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 even though it seems right. Well, it seemed right to David, you know. Here's a, right. a, a brand new cart, you know, and uh, brand new axles, the whole nine yards, oxen, you know, not lambs, oxen, strong. They thought that. You know, but it was it was the way that they wanted to do it, you know, and then, you know, these new versions of the Bible. I'm telling you, all these new versions, they're just new carts. You cannot carry the old gospel on the in these new versions. It, it, it it's it's going to shake. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's going to shake. Yeah. And, 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 and then quoting the church fathers, you know, I got to thinking about this, you know, if if that is the modus operandi to somehow build our position you know by quoting the church fathers then who did the church fathers quote Mm -hmm. 
you know. I mean, sooner or later, they had to go back to the Bible. Right. Right? Yep. Okay. So the church fathers quoted church fathers who quoted church fathers who eventually quoted Christ. Mm-hmm. Why, why do we need church fathers when we can go to the source? Mm-hmm. You, you see what I'm saying? All these modern things, speaking in tongues, that, that's modern. You know, that... There's no such thing as speaking in tongues in the 1700s, the 1600s, the 50s. It, it, the latter rain business, it, I'm telling you, it, it, the Bible says whether it be tongues, they shall cease. If they haven't ceased by now, they're never going to cease. Mm. And, um, and so anyway, so you've got all the uh, discipleship classes, okay? And I think we mentioned this last week. But those are new carts, new carts, you know? Um you know, it's just unbelievable, unbelievable. We got to go out to somebody's house and, and sit down, and, and we make it look good. To sit, you know, here we are sitting across from each other, both sipping some coffee, <laughs> have our King James Bibles out. You know, um, you know th- that's the new card. You say, are you against that? I'm not against fellowship, but, I, you, you know, again, our discipleship, we have Sunday school, mm-hmm. you, you know, uh, come to Sunday school. You know, well, we got to teach them to tithe so they can tithe. Not me. I preach tithing. Right. You know, you're supposed to tithe. Right. You know, well, we got to teach them about, you know, church attendance or teach them the doctrine of the church so that they'll come and and be faithful. No, I just I just preach. You ought to be faithful Mm -hmm. and not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the matter of some is baptism. Well, we got to have a series of classes on baptism so we can, you know, it's all new cards. Yeah. You know, all all you're doing right here is you're changing from the uh, from the heart to the head. And you're going from academics from from to academics from the Word of God. Billy Graham said something years ago when he first started his ministry, and he said this: you know, people were trying to get me into going to their colleges and things like that. He I, he he went to Florida Bible College, and he went to Bob Jones. I can't remember. I think he graduated from Florida Bible College. I don't remember now. I read his biography years and years ago. I can't remember. But anyway, they wanted they, you know different colleges wanted him to go to different places and uh, teach him all about the Greek and the Hebrew and all the church fathers and mothers and the list goes on. Yeah. And what Billy Graham just said, you know, what? I found out I have more better results by th- just saying "Thus saith the Lord" than "Thus saith Jerome." Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining well, in. Hey, before you uh, sign ahead. off, I was going to mention this to kind of put a bow on this but on sunday in that in that uh, sermon you made a statement i thought was really good very practical but you i think you mentioned it but when you are not being blessed by god you need to hear that someone else is and then you said this you said um and if uh, god wants to bless you and if he's not it's not his fault it's not his it's, it's not a problem with god uh, it's your fault and so uh, but what happens is you know, we find out that God's blessing somebody else. We decide, why isn't God blessing me? And then there we go putting God back in his place and say, God, you're not behaving like I think you should behave. And uh, But no, God wants to bless you, and if he's not, it's not his fault. It's not him that's dropping the ball there. That, that is, is so true. And let me just stop and say this. It is, put yourself in a preacher's position sometimes. So you got people that, Who's who's who just screwed up, man? I mean, you know, they didn't remember now that creator in the days of thy youth, and now they've got pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, you know. Now they've got, you know, two or three kids, you know. They're supporting, or this this mother's, you know, she's a mother and she's eighteen years of age, and you know, it's not easy to preach a sermon like this knowing that people in the pew are. I mean, this is this is hitting them pretty hard. Mm-hmm. But I'll say this. For example, you had an abortion. OK, um, you ought to want your pastor to preach against abortion. Right. Because if you know how much devastation it caused you, you should want somebody to preach in no uncertain terms and warn them that don't go down this road. Others have went down this road and you would be the one that would say amen the loudest. Right. OK. We've got people, every church does, uh, shacking up, living together. You know, well, they can't be members here, you know, that kind of a thing. But they come, you know. Right. And, um, and I, I preach against every time. Every time they come, I, I mention it, you know. Um, and they keep coming back, you know, um, because I care. Right. Man, you got to start off right. Right. Man, and and it, 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 you, don't, you don't build your marriage by first shacking up. Right. Uh, you, you're faithful to God and you build your house upon the rock. 
That's how you do that. And then you ain't going to. Okay. So, yeah. So David had to go down the same basic road. But when he did it right, that the ark was was able to handle the rocky road. Whereas when you try it your way, new cart, new ideas, you know, it doesn't work. It didn't work for others, but it's going to work for me mentality. It's not going to work with for you. Your house of cards is coming down. You've got to get it right from the beginning. You got to get, you got to get it right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And and so, so David says, okay, I screwed up the first time, but it's not going to happen again. Yeah. I'm going to do it right. And he avoided all of those problems. Yeah. Right. Somebody says, well, what would so and so do if they got in this position? And you know the proverbial answer. Well, so and so would never have gotten into this position. Right. And people say, well, you're just minimizing my problem. No, that is the truth. So what you need to do is you need to go back and get it right. You're shacking up. You need to stop right now. Separate homes. Okay. She needs to go back and live with her mother or something. And you need to go somewhere and then do it right. And God will bless. Otherwise, otherwise it's going to be more, more and more heartbreak, more and more trouble. And you're going to constantly be trying to find God putting him back in his place and it ain't never going to work and 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 you can have a pity party all you want God's not coming he's not he just says okay I'll bless somebody else I'm telling you that's what it's going to be and uh, well again I don't know how long we rambled on today but uh, we certainly do well amen but if you can't handle the whole podcast well, just break it up in a few, you know, in, in a few sessions. But we are glad that you listen in. And uh, I don't know how it sounded last week. I listened to much of it. it was I, lo- I thought it sounded a lot better. Yeah, there was. We did not have that issue. That's the one we've been dealing with. Well, so. good because I don't like wearing the headphones anyway. But if there's any problems, let us know. We'd like to hear if they're struggling or there's anything I'm not aware of. But yeah, I think wearing headphones makes me look too much like Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> have a wonderful week. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be, see, uh, be back with you next next week. <laughs>